Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. That's my uh, text. Everybody read it before you came to church this morning. You have to get on the city and find out what text is being used. And I, I'm one of those bad people who are not part of this church, by the way. So, <laughs> But they let me into the city already. <laughs> uh, maybe that's so I can keep an eye on what's going on over here. Um, all right, so Hebrews chapter uh, 5, 1 through 10. Now, um, who, who loves reading the Old Testament? Uh, who really, really enjoys the law part of the Old Testament? Okay, so that's about 0.5% of us. Um, and that's okay. Who, uh, who act, has actually read through, say, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Yeah, it's about 50%. That's not too bad. Yeah, now, when you read it, do you just like go, yeah, this is awesome. You read through all those sacrifices, and, all that, and it's pretty bloodthirsty, to be honest. It's, it's horrendous, actually. And, you, and there's sprinkled animals getting killed and slaughtered everywhere, and priests putting blood all over their ears and toes and thumbs and whatnot. And you just go, I, I don't relate to it at all. <laughs> Anyone else feel like that? Or is it just me? Okay. And, and, you, and, and God just says, no, you need to do this, bring this animal in here, and the priest is to lay his hands on its head, and you're to lay your hand on its head, and then you slaughter it. Now, has anyone ever slaughtered like a, a cow? It's not just, 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 just slaughter it, it's, it's bigger than that. It's a pretty gruesome kind of deal. And so they go through this whole thing, they slaughter it, and blood goes everywhere, and they have to throw bits away, and cook bits, and eat bits, and drag bits around. And, and you just kind of go, God, I don't know what you're thinking. Because uh, you could have come up with something far less messy um, and something that kind of works a little bit better. And, and it doesn't really work for us. You agree? Okay. And um, I, I spent quite a bit of time thinking about that over the years and, and why, why that is the case. And, and I've come to the point where I go, I think that was the point. It doesn't work for us. And, um, and, and it doesn't seem to make any sense. And, and so if you read through all of that law stuff, and you go, I just don't get it. Well, that's good, because that's kind of the point, is, is we don't get it. It, does, it doesn't work. And so um, when the, pro- the difficulty is when you get to a book like Hebrews is that it demands some kind of understanding of especially Leviticus. Okay? So Hebrews without Leviticus doesn't really make sense. Um, so you kind of got to get into that a little bit to understand what's going on. Uh, so... The other side of the story is um, that Leviticus without Hebrews doesn't really make any sense either. And I think sometimes we don't really think about it that way. We think, oh, we've got to understand the Old Testament in order to really understand the New Testament. But but there's two sides to that. And and the other side is that in order to understand the Old Testament, we also have to understand the New. Because that's the the framework or the lens through which we interpret the Old. Um, And especially when you get to a passage like this one, where it's talking about high priests and priesthood and sacrifice and Melchizedek and all this kind of stuff, you kind of go, what? It's kind of scary stuff, to be honest. Um, but but it, there, there is something in it for us as well, if we're willing to do a little bit of the work and try and understand it. So, um, so that's where we're going to go uh, this morning. So I just want to read a bunch of it, um, just to kind of get our, our, our minds into it, and uh, then we'll see where we go from there. Now, I'm, I'm just meant to be covering chapter 5, 1 through 10, but I'm going to go back to chapter 4, verse 14, because that's where the paragraph begins, and it just makes it a little bit easier to get some context. So, let's read it. Okay. So, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. Okay, that's just the first part. We'll stick to that for now. So that's um, chapter 4, verse 14, through to verse 3 of chapter 5. And um, just a, uh, what, what the writer is doing is giving a little bit of background information. And, and this, these next few paragraphs, um, right up into chapter 5, are really an introduction to what is going to be said over the next four or five chapters. Okay, so these paragraphs on their own, although there, there is plenty in there for us and we can gain something from it, they really serve as an intro to what's to come. So if we want to understand what's to come, we kind of need to get um, the context that the writer is setting. Okay, so uh, this is going to be, might be a little bit tedious, so just stick with me. We'll get through it, okay? Um, right, so what is he saying? Basically, he gives a little bit of an introduction to the Old Testament priesthood. Now, the people who he is writing to will already know this, okay? So this is not foreign to them. They are Jews. Um, they, they've become believers in Jesus. Uh, their context is it's a time of great suffering uh, where persecution has come against them and there's a big temptation for them to say, I'm done with Christianity, I'm finished with Jesus, I'm just going back to Judaism because I didn't get persecuted for being a Jew. I'm only being persecuted for being a Christian. So I'll dump the Christian bit and just go back to being a Jew. Okay? And the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage them, hey, don't dump Jesus because persecution, um, even with persecution, it's still better with Jesus than it was where you were before. Okay, so a little bit of a, a, a review um, of, of who the priesthood is for them. Okay, so the high priest in particular, there was one high priest and he was selected from among men. Okay, that's what it says. So he's one of them, selected from among them, from the line of Aaron. Okay, and his job was to represent men in, re in matters related to God. So he was to the one that was to take the concerns of the congregation, the concerns of these two or three million people, and he was to take them to God into the Holy of Holies and, and represent them to God. So he was their representative, kind of like our member of parliament, and he did actually represent them. Uh, <laughs> he, he was to offer sacrifices for sin. Okay? So there were some sacrifices that other priests would do but, but on the Day of Atonement, which was kind of the, the, the big daddy of sacrifice days, he was the one that kind of went through that whole thing on their behalf. So he would uh, lay his hands on the head of this beast and kill it and do all that kind of gory stuff. Okay? And it was on behalf of the sin of the people, okay? um, as well as on behalf of himself. We'll look at that in a moment. And, and the other thing that makes it clear here is he had a pastoral role. In other words, he was to empathize or sympathize with those who were weak, um, which I think included just about everybody. They were all weak. Okay, and, and part of his role was to sympathize with them, to empathize with them. Um, okay, but there's a little bit of a problem here, um, and, and this is kind of the point that the writer of Hebrews is getting to. And, and the, the difficulty is that the high priest was only human. Okay? He was from the line of Aaron. He's only human. He's going to die. He won't live forever, so he'd have to be replaced. Okay, so there's a certain sense of um, very temporal. This is only going to last a little while. Then we've got to get somebody else, and he's got to be trained, and he'll carry on. 
So he's only human, he would die. Uh, he was imperfect. He was also a sinner. Um, and so he had to af- offer sacrifices for himself to deal with his own sin before he could deal with anybody else's sin. Okay? That's a bit of a problem. And the other part of it is that this priest could only enter the Holy of Holies or the, the place where God's presence was uh, once a year. Okay? So it was limited. Once a year, he got in to go into that place where God was and represent uh, the people to God. Now, he had other roles as well, other things that he did, but that, that's kind of the deal. And so the writer of Hebrews is kind of painting this picture because he wants to contrast this priest with who Jesus is. All right, so I'm, I'm going to rush through all of this, so hang with me. Okay, and so this is what he says about Jesus. Um, not in this language, he uses his own language, but this is basically a summary of what he's saying. He says, Jesus, well, he's human forever. He is eternal. He's not going away. He's, he's going to stick around. So he's a human forever. Um, I don't know if that's news to some of us. I, um, I was with a bunch of people uh, teaching this last week, and I said, you know, Jesus is a human forever. And, um, and they kind of looked at me weird, and I said, well, what do you think Jesus is? And they're like, it's just a spirit. I'm like, well, that's not what the Bible teaches, but it's what a lot of us believe. But he's not. He's human. He's ro- risen from the dead. He's human. Okay? He has a body, and he's a human forever. Uh, overcome death uh, by dying and rising again, and he will never have to be replaced. So it's a contrast. Uh, secondly, he's perfect. He's without sin. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Um, he doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself first. Um, in fact, he became the sacrifice for us. Okay? You know that. Okay? So, so he's perfect, unlike the high priest in Israel. And thirdly, he's with God eternally. Hebrews goes on, and you'll look at this as you continue to study. He, he represents us before God day in, day out, every second of every minute of every hour of every day. Okay? That, it's not just once a year into the Holy of Holies with a rope tied around him just in case he died and they could drag him out. No, he's there all the time, representing us uh, to the Father constantly. All right, so uh, just in summary, uh, the idea that what, the thing that the, the writer of the Hebrews is trying to um, establish with them is that the, the priesthood has been perfected. Okay? Now, just step out of that for a moment and go back to the context that the writer is, is talking about. He's writing to people who are saying, we, don't, we may not want to continue with this Jesus gig, we want to go back to the priesthood and the temple. Okay, that's basically what they're thinking. Because the priesthood and the temple didn't get us killed. Jesus gets us killed. All right? So that, that's their, their dilemma right now. What am I going to do? Am I going to give up Jesus to go back to the priesthood and the temple or just stick with Jesus? And, and he's saying to them, look, you can go back to the priesthood and the temple if you want to, but, but it's problematic. It's imperfect. Jesus is actually perfect. Okay, so, it's not, so even if you're getting killed and persecuted, you're still far better off with Jesus than you ever were with the temple and the priesthood. Now, not going into it now, the temple and the priesthood was God's gift to them, but it was only for a season, and that season is finished. All right? So the perfection of the priesthood, that now the priest is, is um, not just human, he's also the son of God. He re- represents men to God eternally forever, not once a year, He became the sacrifice for their sins once and for all and he helps pastorally because he's able to sympathize with those who are weak. Now, let's just go on and see what this actually means. So the writer begins in chapter 14 by saying, so let us hold fast or hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And that's his point. He begins with, it's interesting and we'll see this in a moment, he begins with let us, let us hold... um, faithfully or hold firmly to the faith we profess. 
And where we're going to finish in a little while is, again, with a let us. Okay, so, so there's a response involved. It's not just a theological understanding. There's actually a response that he's calling for. And the first response is, hold fast to the faith that you profess. Okay, don't give up on Jesus, because he's perfect. Um, and then he goes on and says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. All right, so the implications of, continuing, of knowing who Jesus is as this great high priest is that we don't have to let go of our faith, we can hold firmly to it, and we can now approach the throne of grace with confidence. Okay? Now, big words and, and kind of big thoughts, I'm not going to unpack them, because uh, I think that will happen over the next however long it takes to preach through the next bit of Hebrews, <laughs> maybe 18 months or so. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I, I'll, I'll throw this out there right now. I'm not going to throw in heaps of really practical application for you today. I'm hoping this is just a bit of a framework so you can actually understand what's coming. All right? Is that okay? Kevin, you, you say rude things about me on the city if you don't like it. <laughs> okay, so don't give up your faith and hold fast uh, to, to that faith. Um, and also approach the throne of grace with confidence, okay? which in itself is a pretty amazing thing to say. Um, the throne of grace is pretty cool. And there you receive mercy, okay, he says. Come there for mercy because we all need mercy. Uh, and there you also find grace to help in times of need, okay. And we all have times of need and we need to find grace there uh, in those times of need. I'll throw a thought out there and I'll bounce back to it in a little bit later. Um, one of the things that's said about the high priest is he's able to sympathize or empathize because he himself is weak, okay. So have you ever had that thought, um, Jesus... I don't know if you really understand because you've never sinned. You don't know what it's like. <laughs> you ever thought that? Oh, you're all so pious. I think that all the time. Okay, and they go, uh, uh, Jesus, we're supposed to come to you and you're supposed to understand, but, and I know that you came to earth and I know that you had skin and flesh and all that kind of stuff, but you're still God. I'd say that's a fairly big advantage. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of times I probably thought I had that advantage. I don't. I'm not God and I can't do it and I'm really struggling here. But do you really know what it's like for this struggle? Okay? You've got that God thing and I don't. And there's this sense of, does God really relate? Does Jesus really relate to where I'm at and to what I'm going through? And I read a, just a brilliant quote from C.S. Lewis and, um, and, and there's a bunch of other guys that commented on it as well. But he, but he said it, I'll, I won't quote it verbatim, I'll just give you my little spin on it, uh, but it's the same deal. He goes... Um, we don't really, um, we have never experienced the full force of temptation. The only person who's ever experienced the full force of temptation is the one who's been tempted and yet did not sin. Okay? So if temptation, if this is the full force of temptation, I don't know about you, I usually get to about here and, and I give in. Okay, not with everything, but with a bunch of stuff. And, and think, oh, I don't know how you can ever do it. But you see, Jesus, he experienced the full force of temptation and never sinned. Never. And so if anybody can relate to temptation, Jesus can. Because he is the only one in all of history who's ever experienced the full force of it and didn't give up. Okay? And, and that came as such a revelation to me. I was like, yeah, actually, when I'm sitting there going, you know what, I'm, I, I really want to have angry thoughts right now and say angry words. <laughs> and I'm just, you don't know what it's like, so I'm just going to do it. I know you'll forgive me anyway, so it's fine. 
Um, and, and then you go, actually, he does. He knows exactly. Because he also has been there, and he didn't give up. And so the force of the temptation which he faced was far greater than the temptation I have ever faced. In every area. That's what it tells us in Hebrews, that he's faced temptation in every area, whether it's area of sexuality or other relational areas of dealing patiently or, or with you know, kindness or grace or getting angry, all of those things. He faced all of that and yet did not sin. And therefore, the one who has faced the full force of temptation and didn't give in is far greater to offer compassion than the one who constantly gives in. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Okay, and, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. Okay, so a flawed and broken and sinful high priest, yes, he can empathize because he's just like you and me, but Jesus has faced all that and never gave in. So if anyone can empathize and sympathize, he can because he's faced it much stronger than we ever have. So that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. How do we find grace? Well, by appealing to Jesus, who knows exactly what we're facing. All right, so we'll move on. Okay, this is um, from verse uh, 4 of chapter 5. Okay, so it's okay? This pace, all right? All right, I'll keep going then. All right, no one takes this honor... This is about being a high priest. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. <laughs> okay, that's um, kind of a scary verse, isn't it? Um, because we, don't, we get to the end of it and you kind of go, what's this order of Melchizedek business all about? And, and what's it got to do with us anyway? Okay, so let's just I'll explore that for a moment. Um, we'll come back to that. So uh, this, we, this has probably been gone over, but, uh, but I'll, I'll say it again. Okay, it begins by saying Jesus was chosen. Okay, he did not take this honor upon himself, but he was chosen. So the point is to tell them, hey, I'm telling you Jesus is the great high priest. Okay, this is the, the writer to the Hebrews saying, I'm telling you he's the great high priest. He is no pretender. Okay, he is the real deal. Okay, he's not just some imposter that's decided for himself, I'm going to be a new high priest. No, this has been in the, in the planning since the beginning of time. He's the real thing. Okay, and then he begins to lay out why. Why is he the real thing? What makes him the real thing? So if we go back to Genesis chapter 14, I'll just uh, explain what was going on there because that will give context. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham, who was called by God, uh, to leave all of his family and his place and go to a land that God would show him and, and that God would bless him, okay, he finds himself going into battle to rescue his, um, his nephew and his family and all of the people that kind of lived around him. So he goes off into battle and defeats all of these enemies and on his way back, he runs into this guy called Melchizedek, who's the king and priest of a place called Salem. Okay, not Salem, Oregon, Salem, Canaan. Okay? All right, so, and he's king and priest. Okay, that's a little bit unusual, but, but there's the deal. Now, Salem is actually the, um, the old name for Jerusalem. So it would become Jerusalem eventually. So he is the king and the priest 
of Jerusalem. And the name Salem actually means peace. Okay? So already our minds are ticking over and you think, okay, so this is not just coincidental. Okay? God's got something in mind for the future. Okay? But, it, but it's significant now. So Abraham meets this guy and, um, and, and this guy says he's the priest of the Most High God. So this is not a priest of Baal or Molech or Asherah or some other God. This is the Most High God. And so he blesses Abraham. Abraham pays his tithes to him, gives him a tenth of everything, and that's the last we ever hear of him. Okay? That story, nothing again until we get to Psalm 110, where the writer of Psalm 110, uh, obviously speaking prophetically, speaks of a day when there would be a new priest of the order of Melchizedek. So, so there's no other mention uh, in the Old Testament. So we don't know anything about him, and that's partly the point of it. Okay, but we'll look at that in a minute. All right, so um, we don't know his history, Melchizedek's. We don't know his future. We don't know where he came from, what his ancestry is. We don't know anything like that. Uh, and and that's, that's partly the point, is that Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High and a king, but he was not of the line of Aaron and he was not Jewish. Okay, so that's, that's the most important thing. He was not from the line of Aaron, he was not Jewish, and he had nothing to do with the temple. In fact, he predates the law. All right, so you got that? That's really important. That's important because their temptation is to go back to what they think is the real priesthood from the law. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, that's not the priesthood. There's a priesthood far more ancient than that, the real thing, and that's the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek, not even a Jew. And Jesus is that order of priesthood. Okay? <laughs> it isn't easy. Okay, so stick with me. And um, if you don't get it, I'm sure Peter will explain it on the city. Ask a question. All right. So, this, this is who Jesus is, okay? Um, so, there's this quote. It says, he, uh, from the first quote is Psalm 2. It says, uh, you are my son, today I have become your father. So, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus didn't just take this role for himself. He's not an imposter. No, he is actually the son of God, okay? And he quotes from Psalm 2. Um, to, you are my son, today I have become your father. This is the same guy that's become the priest. And then he jumps over to Psalm 110 and, qu and quotes again and says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay? Jesus is no pretender. He's the real thing. He's the son of God. And he's of this particular, he's this kind of priest, which is not the kind of priesthood that you are used to. All right? okay, then he goes on and talks about Jesus' life. Okay, and he begins to talk, and I'll pull all this together, about what qualifies Jesus. Okay, he's called, but what qualifies him to be a high priest? Okay, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, okay, so it begins. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. All right, so the, the writer's now talking about Jesus' life, not just his death and resurrection, it's actually talking about his life. He says, during the days of his life, he offered up prayers and petitions. So he is not just talking about the Garden of Gethsemane, it's his life. All right, so let's just get that in our minds. During his life, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. All right, so get the picture. Here's Jesus. He's a man. He's human. Also a son of God, by the way, but human. Limited himself to humanity. Faced temptation as a human. He didn't overcome temptation as God. 
You overcame temptation as a human. Okay, that's the point. Okay? But during his lifetime, he offers up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Okay, that's fairly comprehensive. Okay? This is not just some guy who spent a couple of minutes going, oh, Lord, bless me today and thanks for the sunshine. Yeah, he prayed, God, save me. God, deliver me. God, help me. Okay? And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Okay, cool? So God heard his prayers. Now, what was his prayer again? He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could what? Save him from death. And then he goes on and says, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Is that cool? That God hears prayers and answers them? It didn't seem to answer Jesus' prayer. Because his prayer was, save me from death. And the writer says, and God heard him because of his submission, but he still died. So there's a little bit of a problem going on here. I don't know if you can see that. Okay? So, so this, he, he's, he's, he's perfect. He hasn't given in to temptation, but he still cries out to God, God save me from death, which is fascinating on its own. And then it says God heard him because of his reverent submission, but he didn't actually save him from death. All right, we'll just let that thought hang for a moment. Um, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. Okay, now, was Jesus, was he perfect before the cross? So what does that mean then? Although a son... He learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. That's fascinating language. I don't know about you, but you kind of look at that and go, well, what the heck is going on with that? I thought he was perfect all along. He didn't give in to temptation. All right, let that hang for a minute. He goes on, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And then it goes on to the order of Melchizedek thing. Just jump back a little bit. Okay, so what is this all about? Okay, so during the days of his life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions, loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. We have to understand that in the context of the the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, but also his prayer life during his lifetime. Okay, Um, and I'll throw that out there because I don't know what impression sometimes we get of Jesus' life, but it wasn't easy. Because, yes, he was fully God, but he was fully man, he limited himself to the life of a man. So that's the restrictions he played on himself, placed on himself. So he didn't pull the God card every now and then, do a bit of God stuff to get him out of trouble. Okay? He didn't do that. He did what you and I can do only, and that's to cry out to our Father in heaven, God help me. Okay? All right. To the one who could save him from death. Now, did Jesus want to die? Not, not at an emotional level, that's for sure. I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when we get to that point, this guy, if this cup can be taken from me, please take it from me. But of course, it doesn't end there. Okay? And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And of course, the ultimate, um, I mean, Jesus in John, for example, talking to his disciples, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And then that culminates in that little prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, what? Not my will, but yours be done. Okay, so... 
what does it mean then that he was heard because of his reverent submission? Because he didn't get actually what he prayed for. <laughs> but he did. Okay, so it's interesting, isn't it? Um, that, that what was he actually praying for? Was he praying to be delivered from death? Yeah, well, yeah, good question. Death, little d, or Beth? Beth. Lord, deliver me from Beth. Um, death, big D. You see, uh, you, you have to, I mean, the context demands that we understand he wasn't actually asking to be delivered from death. He was, he was asking for d- deliverance from disobedience. From deliverance from lack of submission to the Father. There was a sense of, I'm not looking forward to what's coming, but if that's what I have to go through, then not my will, but yours be done. Okay, it, it, um, it, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, let's go on to the next thing. Okay, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. Okay, so here's this question. Was he not perfect before? Well, yes, he was. The scriptures tell us he's perfect, that he's without sin. So if you're without sin, you're perfect. Uh, so, perfection in this sense, in this context, means complete. Okay? He became complete. Does that mean Jesus was incomplete? Okay, this is where our Western kind of minds really struggle to understand these concepts. Does that mean he was incomplete before? Well, in one sense, yes. Because he hadn't gone through all of life yet and faced all this temptation and, and continued to be obedient to God. So, his completion... Um, actually was was formed in him, in his submission to God. That's how he became perfect. Okay, does that that make sense? So he didn't become the perfect God, he became the perfect man by suffering and yet remaining obedient. In the sense of a complete man who's, who's, who's faced the full force of temptation and yet continued to say yes to, to God. Is that okay? All right. All right, so he learned all of that as a son and he was made perfect. And once he had gone through all of that, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, of course, through the cross and the resurrection. Is that my last slide? No, there's more to come. Okay, all right, we'll stick there. All right, so you kind of get the picture. I'll summarize and then I'll throw out some, um, some thoughts, I think, for, for our application today. So, don't go back to an old high priest, the one of the Jews and the temple and the line of Aaron, because that's actually not the real deal. It was a gift of God and it was good for a season, but don't go back there because Jesus is a high priest, also the Son of God, and his high priesthood of the order of Melchizedek is far more ancient, okay, it precedes the law even, it precedes the Jews even, okay? and, and this is a priesthood that, that God has ordained from the beginning of time until the end of time. All right, so you got that bit? Order, that's the order of Melchizedek bit. Okay? And then he goes on to say, to say, not only is he called by God to be this priest, and I haven't thrown in there the king part of it, he was also king, but we'll save that for another day. Um, he's also the king, okay? but not only is he ordained by God and called by God, he actually went through the process of, of becoming complete or becoming perfect, which, which really qualifies him for the role of high priest. Okay? So if we remember the, what was the role of high priest, 
Okay, to represent man before God. Okay, now who can do that better than the perfect man? That's the point. We now have a high priest who's not sinful and flawed. We have a perfect man who learnt to be perfect, who became complete by submission to God, even when the answers to his prayer did not seem to be what, what maybe he had hoped or what we would hope. Okay? He learnt submission to God. What was the other role? It was to sympathise with man. Well, who can sympathise with man better than the perfect man who's faced the full force of what we will ever face, who didn't give in to it? Okay? Well, nobody can sympathise or offer us compassion more than him. Okay? That's the point. Okay? How did he learn that? Well, he learned that by being reverently submitted to the Father. Even when he cried out with loud cries and petitions and for it to be delivered from death, it didn't happen, but God gave him the grace or the whatever he needed, the power, to continue to obey. You see, he's, he's got runs on the board. That's the deal. This guy, as a priest, has got runs on the board. No priest before could say that. All they could say was, yeah, I kind of killed a bit of a lamb early this morning to cover my own stuff. Okay? No, 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 not this guy. He said, I don't need to do that because I've remained obedient to the Father. In fact, I have become the lamb. So he's no longer just the priest, he's also the sacrifice on behalf of those who desperately need to, needed to be represented to the Father. You kind of get the, get the flow? Um, all right, so that, that's kind of a bit of unpacking of the actual text itself. Maybe we just have a look at some, some application stuff. All right. So what does this mean? Well, one thing it means is our salvation is secure. Okay? At the end of the day, this is what it means. So here are these Jews ready to give up on their faith and go back to Judaism because they might get killed. What do they need to know? Well, one thing they need to know is their salvation is secure. Because the one who represents, the one who actually won their salvation and represent them to the Father is the great high priest himself. And he stands in the presence of God at the throne of grace, day after day, representing them to the Father. Their salvation is secure. So whatever happens, you don't have to worry. Your salvation has been won. You can't lose it. So do I believe you can't lose your salvation? Yeah, I do. You can't lose it. Not on the basis of us, on the basis of Jesus and what he's done. All right? Secondly, our eternal salvation is available right now. Okay, what do I mean by that? Um, if we have the understanding that our salvation is just what happens when we die, we're kind of missing the point. Our salvation is what happens every day. And why is it available every day? Well, because our great high priest represents us to the Father. He is fully approachable. He fully sympathizes and empathizes with us. Therefore, what we need on a day-to-day -day basis can be met because of who he is. So we can come to him and, and with our prayers and our loud cries and our petitions say, save me from death. And in our reverent submission, our prayers are heard. Now, I'll qualify that by saying, that doesn't mean you get what you pray for. <laughs> that means you get the ability to keep saying, yes, Jesus, despite whatever crap may be happening around you at the time. Okay? Um, uh, man, I wish it wasn't like that. I wish it was you get answers to your prayer the way you want it. And there's some prayers that I've prayed and I desperately wish God would answer them, but he doesn't. But I've, come to, you come, I've come to this and go, you know what? But his salvation is still available to me every day, even when stuff is not happening the way I would prefer it to happen. All right. Now, all of this is an introduction to what is coming. So I'll just throw this out and then I'll finish 
um, with a final thought. Goes on to chapter six, which basically says, look, what I've just said is really important, although a little bit hard to understand, but stick with it. Now that's my paraphrase of it. That's basically where it's going. In chapter seven, he goes on and really gets into this order of Melchizedek thing and, and explains that and lays it out a little bit clearer. So we understand why is Jesus a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Chapter eight, talks about this new high priest and how with a new high priest comes a new and better covenant. All right, so you'll get there. Not only do you have a new high priest, we have a better covenant. It's not a new high priest of the same old covenant. It's a new high priest of a new and better covenant. Chapter 9 talks about the inadequacy of the old covenant and the old system of sacrifices and the perfect nature of the new covenant and the new system of sacrifices. And then in chapter 10, it's God's perfect sacrifice once and for all. Right, so that's where you're going over the next uh, five or so chapters. And then he wraps it up in chapter 10 by saying this. At the end of this whole thing, this is chapter 10 and uh, verse 19. It says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, okay, that's, all the, that's where we've just been, since we have all of that, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." Okay? And that's how he wraps up this whole thing about Jesus the high priest and being a better sacrifice and all of that. So what does it, what's the deal? There's a bunch of let us's in here. Okay? And this is really important with us. So he begins with us, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Okay? And this is how it finishes. Because of Jesus our high priest, let us draw near to, draw near to God. Okay? Remember, the, the context is persecution. Difficult times. Maybe physical pain, maybe financial pain, maybe death. That's the context. So, let us draw near to God. With a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith. Not a little bit, Lord, I don't know whether I can come to you today. No, in full assurance of faith. God, my life is rubbish, I've totally stuffed up, but I'm here. That's full assurance of faith. I'm here because of you, not because of me. And for that I'm really grateful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. Okay, I love the way Nathan started this morning with this, this analogy of like a horse race and putting money on the horse. And unless it's black caviar, you know, it's not, you, you're kind of going to be in trouble. Probably, possibly. And if you're putting money on it anyway, you're probably in trouble already. So. Um, but anyway, leave that alone. Um, no risk. There's actually no risk here with our hope. We can hold on swervingly to the hope because he who promised is faithful. We know he's going to win. That's not in question. That's already, it's a done deal. And then he goes on to um, some really practical things. This is not about theology. This is actually about life. So let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Huh. So knowing that Jesus is our great high priest and approachable and perfect and complete and sympathizes and empathizes means actually we can come to one another and encourage each other. Come on, don't give up. Don't let go. What are we encouraging them to do? To approach the throne of grace, because that's what they need right now. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, 
Let us not give up meeting together. This is, I love that. Don't give up meeting together. Why? Because we have a great high priest. Better sacrifice, all of this stuff. So what's meeting together got to do with that? Well, that is the context in which we, we discover and experience all of this. You know, yes, we approach the throne of grace on our own. We come individually and all of that, and that's all important. But you know what? I have experienced far more grace from the throne of God in community than I've ever experienced on my own, ever. Don't give up meeting together. Yeah, okay, they might come and round you up and take you up and kill you, but don't give up meeting together. (laughs) It's better. That's where God is. That's where his grace will be poured out. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, it's not the, the let us part of what he's promising or asking us to do is not going to diminish over time and become less important, but more and more as we see the day approaching. And the final let us is let us pray because we are done. To which everybody said, Amen. All right. Okay, Father, uh, there's, a lot, there's a whole heap of stuff in there and, and I, don't know, I don't understand probably 75% of it. But, um, but what I do know is that uh, he who promised is faithful. Uh, I might not get all the high priest stuff and it might be um, part of a culture and a world that's totally foreign to me and I don't, it just doesn't, I don't get it necessarily. But what I do get is that, Lord, thousands and thousands of years ago, before even all that law and all the Israel stuff, God, you had in mind that we would have a high priest who would represent us to the Father, who was also the king of peace, who was perfect, who could totally relate to me, who knows the temptations that I face, who can sustain me even when I don't seem to get answers to my prayer and make me complete in that process. Right back then, God, you knew that you, that, that you Jesus, would become our high priest. And in our difficult moments, as well as our good moments, we could approach the throne of grace and find what we need and be sustained in it. That, that we could gather together with, with a community of people and, and together we can experience the grace that comes from that throne. God, teach us how to do that. Well, maybe these are all kind of high and theological words to some degree. God, show us what this means tomorrow morning when we wake up and think, oh gosh, life is still happening. Well, because that's where it really counts. Jesus, that's where we can look at you and go, you know exactly what I'm facing today. And you face the full force of it and you know You do know. Lord, help us to approach that throne of grace, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.